0: Shalom, friends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Access. This is Timothy, and I'm happy to be studying through the scriptures with you today. Quick question. Has there ever been a time when somebody promised you something, and you waited and waited for them to make good on their promise? How long did you have to wait? You know, some kids have to wait for the gift that their parents promised them for their birthday. Some people are promised a promotion at work, as soon as that position becomes available. And some people are promised, you know, an inheritance once their parents pass away. And there are some girls that wait for their engagement ring that their boyfriend promised them. How long did they have to wait? You know, back in December 2008, Bev and I, we got engaged. I never got her an engagement ring because we, we weren't even dating, we just got engaged. And uh, we got married a few months later And we never got to go on our honeymoon. But I had promised Bev that one day we would go. And finally, for our 8th anniversary in 2017, after a lot of planning, our friends and our family, they agreed to watch our three sons for a couple weeks so I could finally take my wife on our honeymoon. So it was just me and Bev and our 6-month developing baby girl inside her. Uh, we, We got on a plane and we flew to Australia. And to be walking the streets and the parks and the harbors and just enjoying every moment together was a forever memory to be cherished. And there's something beautiful about a promise realized. Are you still waiting for a promise to be kept? How are you in the waiting? If you don't trust the person making a promise, well, you're probably not gonna hold your breath. But when you trust and you really believe, you would be more likely to wait until you see that promise come to fruition, right? Our study today is called Promise Realized. If you need a handout for today's Access Learn study, please visit our Facebook group, Connections Ministries of Canada, and you'll find all of our studies under the Files tab. Also visit our website at connectionsministries.com. As we continue our study through Genesis, I recommend that you have a Bible handy so you could follow along, and I encourage you to take some time with your own Access Church communities, or your small groups, and review this study together. Now let's get started. Promise Realized. Today my wife Beverly will be reading from Genesis chapter twenty and twenty one from the Complete Jewish Bible.
1: Avraham travelled from there toward the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. While living as an alien in Gerar, Avraham was saying of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister, So Avimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Avimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are about to die because of the woman you have taken, since she is someone's wife. Now Avimelech had not come near her, so he said, Lord, will you kill even an upright nation? Didn't he himself say to me, She is my sister? And even she herself said, He is my brother. In doing this my heart has been pure and my hands innocent. God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in doing this your heart has been pure, and I too have kept you from sinning against me. This is why I didn't let you touch her. Therefore, return the man's wife to him now. He is a prophet, and he will pray for you, so that you will live. But if you don't return her, know that you will certainly die, you and all who belong to you. Avimelech got up early in the morning, called all his servants, and told them these things, and the men became very afraid. Then Avimelech called Avraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you to cause you to bring on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done things to me that are just not done. Abimelech went on, asking Avraham, Whatever could have caused you to do such a thing? Avraham replied, It was because I thought there could not possibly be any fear of God in this place, so they will kill me in order to get my wife. But she actually is also my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and so she became my wife. When God had me leave my father's house, I told her, Do me this favor. Wherever we go, say about me, He is my brother. Avimelech took sheep, cattle, and male and female slaves, and gave them to Avraham. And he returned to him Sarah, his wife. Then Avimelech said, Look, my country lies before you. Live where you like. To Sarah he said, Here, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. That will allay the suspicions of everyone who is with you. Before everyone you are cleared. Avraham prayed to God, and God healed Avimelech and his wife and slave girls so that they could have children. For Adonai had made every woman in Avimelech's household infertile on account of Sarah, Avraham's wife. Chapter 21 Adonai remembered Sarah as he had said, and Adonai did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Avraham a son in his old age at the very time God had said to him, Avraham called his son born to him whom Sarah bore to him, Yitzchak. Avraham circumcised his son Yitzchak when he was eight days old, as God had ordered him to do. Avraham was one hundred years old when his son Yitzchak was born to him. Sarah said, God has given me good reason to laugh. Now everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Avraham that Sarah would nurse children? Nevertheless, I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Avraham gave a great banquet on the day that Yitzchak was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom Hagar had borne to Avraham, making fun of Yitzchak. So Sarah said to Avraham, Throw this slave girl out, and her son. I will not have this slave girl's son as your heir along with my son, Yitzchak. Avraham became very distressed over this matter of his son. But God said to Avraham, Don't be distressed because of the boy and your slave girl. Listen to everything Sarah says to you, because it is your descendants through Yitzhak who will be counted. But I will also make a nation from the son of the slave girl, since he is descended from you." Avraham got up early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child. Then he sent her away. After leaving, she wandered in the desert around Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she left the child under a bush and went and sat down, looking the other way, about a bow shot's distance from him, because she said, I can't bear to watch my child die. So she sat there, looking the other way, crying out and weeping. God heard the boy's voice, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's wrong with you, Hagar? Don't be afraid, because God has heard the voice of the boy in his present situation. Get up! Lift the boy up, and hold him tightly in your hand, because I am going to make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went, filled the skin with water, and gave the boy water to drink. God was with the boy, and he grew. He lived in the desert and became an archer. He lived in the Paran desert, and his mother chose a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Avimelech and Pechol the commander of his army spoke to Avraham. They said, God is with you in everything you do. Therefore, swear to me here by God that you will never deal falsely with me or with my son or grandson, but according to the kindness with which I have treated you, you will treat me and the land in which you have lived as a foreigner. Avraham said, I swear it. Now Avraham had complained to Avimelech about a well which Avimelech's servants had seized. Avimelech answered, I don't know who has done this. You didn't tell me, and I heard about it only today. Avraham took sheep and cattle and gave them to Avimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Avraham put seven female lambs from the flock by themselves. Avimelech asked Avraham, What is the meaning of these seven female lambs you have put by themselves? He answered, You are to accept these seven female lambs for me as witness that I dug this well. This is why that place was called 'er Beersheba, because they both swore an oath there. When they made the covenant at Beersheba, Avimelech departed with Pickle, the commander of his army, and returned to the land of the Pilishtim. Avraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of Adonai, the everlasting God. Avraham lived for a long time as a foreigner in the land of the Pilishtim.
0: At the beginning of chapter 20, we see Avraham moving his family uh, throughout the lands and going into the city called Gerar. When he gets to Gerar, he's back to his old tricks. Um, He tells the king of Vimelech there that Sarah is his sister and that he is her brother. Remember, this happened about 25 years earlier when they had gone to Egypt and he used this tactic because he was afraid of what they might do to him. And here he is again, 25 years later, doing the same thing. Now... Let's look at Gerar for a bit. This is a city that's located at the eastern border of what is modern-day Gaza, the Gaza Strip. And this is between Canaan and, and Egypt. It's a border between there. And it eventually became a part of Philistia. So, this King Avimelech, he was indeed an early Philistine settler. And his name was sort of a combination of both title and name which means my father is king. You have Ava, father, and Melech, king, Avimelech. But why would this Avimelech want to take a 90-year-old Sarah to be part of his harem? Like, think about that. Now, she must have retained much of her exceptional youthful beauty that had attracted the Pharaoh 25 years earlier when she was 65 years old. Otherwise, um, it may have also been simply for the purpose of creating a peaceful alliance with Avraham. Remember, Avraham was well-known. He was a man of renown after he had already defeated Kedorlamr, and um, he was known in this land, and he had amassed much wealth already. A king would typically take women into his harem so that they could produce children for him, but at 90 years old, I don't believe that this is probably what Avimlech had in mind, so most likely it was for the peaceful alliance with Avraham, which was common practice in that day. You would marry a family member of the person that you would like to make that alliance with. In verse 3, we see God communicating with King Avimlech through a dream. Now, God communicated with people through dreams throughout Scripture. And right here, he gets straight to the point. He says, I'm going to kill you, Avimlech, because you've taken this married woman. <laughs> Avimlech argues his case that, you know, he hasn't had sexual relations with her yet, and he didn't know that, he was, that she was married. And God had acknowledged that he was telling the truth, but he continues to explain that it was divine power that kept him from even touching Sarah sexually. Otherwise, death would have been the penalty. So God instructs him to return Sarah to Abraham, who would intercede for him and and plead for his life. And if he did not return Sarah, then that would be the end of him and his entire family line. Question. Did Avimlech know who he was talking to in his dream? We get a little bit of clues when the actual word Adonai shows up in the original Hebrew text when Avimlech addresses God. Now this term simply means Lord. Adonai simply means Lord. And he was aware that he was talking to a God, but he did not know which one, except that he was the protector of Abraham. I'd like to insert a quick study note here. More than 99% of the time in the scriptures, the Old Testament, when we find the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, it's actually God's personal name, Yehovah or Yehua. And commonly, it's represented by the Tetragrammaton of the four Hebrew letters, yud heh vav transliterated into English as Y-H-W-H. It was common practice for the Jews that when the scrolls were being read, that anywhere the personal name of God was written it would be spoken as Adonai, in fear of misusing his name. However, in this passage, the actual word Adonai is used in the original Hebrew text when Evimelech speaks to God in this dream. And being a pagan, he had no problem dealing with the spiritual world, and he wouldn't have had a problem with a power that's that's higher than himself. Once again, he did not know which God he was speaking to, but simply that this God was the mighty protector of Abraham. Now we see Avimelech like freaking out after this encounter that he had with God. I mean he was tricked, nothing was really his fault, but if he didn't take action and follow the instructions of this higher power that visited him in the dream, he would die and everybody that belonged to him would die. Everything would come to an end. Imagine how wrong he must have felt being cheated by Abraham that way. And we actually see him run up to Avraham and say, How could you do this to me? What were you thinking? Why didn't you just tell me she was your wife? And of course, Avraham has to go over the whole thing and explain why he did what he did, because he assumed that there could not possibly be any fear of God in this place. If I were Vimelech, I'd be wondering, How could God designate Avraham, this trickster, to be the intercessor between me and God? This man is going to be the one pleading for my life? Now, just as Avraham had pleaded on behalf of the hypothetical righteous in Sodom, he would need to do the same for Avimlech, and God would listen because Avraham was righteous. But why would God allow Avraham to intercede for Avimlech, even though Avraham had tricked him? Unlike the situation in Egypt 25 years earlier, Avimelech does not kick him out he actually adds to his wealth and invites Avram to stay in his country. He gives him sheep and cattle and male and female slaves, and he returns Sarah to him. And once this was done, Avraham actually intercedes for him and pleads with God for his life. And what does God do? He restores Avimelech's household after having made every woman in his household infertile on account of Sarah. God reverses what he had done and he opens their rooms and allows them to be able to produce future generations. This story continues a little later on that same year in chapter 21, where it reads, Adonai remembered Sarah as he had said, and Adonai did for Sarah what he had promised. All of Jehovah's promises and prophecies to Abraham were literal, and they were literally fulfilled. Now God kept his promise as he always does and Sarah had a child. They named him Yitzhak or Isaac, which means he will laugh, he will rejoice. And this promise, 25 years in the making, was for this child of destiny or this child of promise. And it was God that set the time that Yitzhak was to be born to Sarah. Now Abraham followed God's instruction to circumcise his son at 8 days old in keeping with the covenant. Abraham at 100, and Sarah at 90, they were overcome with rejoicing laughter because of what God had done in their old age. Can you imagine laughing and rejoicing at a promise realized? How beautiful. Let's take a moment to look at some of the parallels between Yitzhak and the Messiah. Now, there was a very lengthy time between the promise of Yitzhak and his birth. And same for the Messiah. The births of Yitzhak and Yeshua were both miraculous. Yitzhak's because his mother was old and she had a dead womb, and Yeshua's because Mary was a virgin. Yitzhak's name was decided by God before he was born, and so was Yeshua's. And God set a precise appointed time for Yitzhak's birth, just as he did for Yeshua. They were both children of destiny, children of promise. The prophecies concerning their births were both literal, and they were both literally fulfilled. This is a very important point, friends. When you're reading through the scriptures, and you see this pattern of God giving prophecies literally, and then them being literally fulfilled, it would do us some good to consider it literally first, before we start delving into any of these other thoughts and, and being misguided, giving way to so many crooked theories especially for the future prophecies that were still waiting to be fulfilled. If there's anything that I'm learning through this study personally, it's that I can keep trusting God to keep His promises. He is faithful to His promises. In the meantime, in the waiting, trusting Him means that I will continue to pray and not get in His way. Especially those times where nothing seems clear and I grow anxious to know more details of His plans, I need to be still and know that He is God. I need to trust in Yehovah with all my heart, not rely on my own understanding. Friends, trusting in Yehovah includes incorporating this knowledge of the true way of living and guidance for correct behavior. And this applies not only to our actions in, in day-to-day living, but to the way that we study through Scripture and how we handle the word of truth as well. Now let's get back to the story. We're looking at Genesis 21 and verse 8. Here we see Abraham giving a big banquet for his son Yitzhak because he was being weaned. Now this was a big deal to the Hebrews because it was a significant point in time where the child doesn't need to rely on his mother's milk anymore, but he would be able to move on to solid food and sustain himself. The typical age for a child to be weaned would be anywhere from 18 months to 5 years old. So let's remember that Avraham had a firstborn son, and his name was Yishmael, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian slave girl, who belonged to Sarah. Now, Yishmael would have been about 15 to 16 years old when Yitzchak was weaned. And Sarah did not like how Yishmael taunted her son and told Abraham to banish the slave girl from the clan, and she wanted Yishmael gone too. Now remember, Hagar, the slave girl, still belonged to Sarah, Sarah didn't need Avraham's permission to, to cast her out, but she made it very clear when she approached Avraham that she wanted both Hagar and Ishmael out of the clan. How difficult this must have been for Avraham to release his only begotten son of 13 years. Avraham was troubled because he loved Ishmael, his firstborn. So God comforted Avraham by promising that he himself would graciously supply the earthly portion of the firstborn blessing that had just been taken from Ishmael. You see, there was a common law in this era called Libit ishtar and this law would have allowed Avraham to accept or deny Ishmael as an heir to his entire estate, because he was born to a slave girl of Avraham's household. Now consider the implications of this action where Avraham banishes Hagar and Ishmael from the clan any wealth, favor, or security that Hagar would have benefited from had Yishmael been given the firstborn share, that was completely gone now. She had lost any status in the clan and she was being sent out with nobody to care for her or her child. Avraham just sends them off with some bread and a skin of water. He puts it on her shoulder and just sends them away next thing that we see is Hagar is about to die of thirst and she's, she's there in distress and she leaves her son under a bush and she cries out, I can't bear to watch my child die. And in verse 17, it reads that God heard the boy's voice. It wasn't what Hagar said. We don't know what Yishmael said, but very clearly it says that God heard the boy's voice. And Malach Elohim calls out to Hagar from heaven. It doesn't make mention that there was any sort of appearance before Hagar, but simply a voice that called down from heaven. And whose voice was that? In the text, this is Malach Elohim, which is a, a messenger of the Lord, an angel of God. By looking at the fuller context of this passage, And looking more at verse 18, um, I'm inclined to believe that this is actually the voice of Jehovah God Himself when He instructs her to get up and take the boy and hold him tightly in your hand because I am going to make him a great nation. This is the voice of God. So this message was delivered and it brought reassurance to her in her time of dire need. And God opens her eyes and she sees a well of water. So she goes and fills up the skin with water and brings water for the boy to drink. What an interesting detail, considering that Ishmael was mocking Yitzhak when he was weaned from his mother's feeding. And here we get a picture of Hagar delivering water to help sustain her son in the desert. I really appreciate verse 20 how it gives us a little glimpse into the future of a promise realized, because it says that God was with the boy. And Yishmael grew, he lived in the desert, became an archer, and married an Egyptian woman that was chosen by Hagar. So Yishmael was well on his way to having more of that promise realized, where God would make him a great nation. With the birth of Yitzchak, Abraham was more confident in the ability of God to protect him and to keep his promises. I mean, we see how God had comforted Abraham in his distress by reminding him that Yitzchak was the child of promise, and that through him Abraham's descendants would be counted. And God also promised Abraham that he would make a nation of Ishmael as well. Then Abraham was able to bring himself to send him and Hagar away. So if anything were to happen to Abraham, he had this important heir in Yitzchak, and the family would prosper by the promises and blessings of God. Chapter 21 ends off with this dispute between Avraham's clan and Avimelech's people over water wells. Now, Avimelech was well aware of Abraham's friend in the highest place, which had threatened his life once before, remember, in his dream. We see in verse 22 that Avimelech, along with his commander of his army, um, acknowledged that God was with Avraham in everything that he did. We kind of get a tone from Avimelech of the fear that he has of this God that had threatened him before, as we see him dealing with Avraham with much respect and and consideration, much kindness. He was allowing Avraham to dwell in his territory, remember? And Avraham had sworn that he would never deal falsely with Avimelech or his family. And when this dispute of the water wells came up, Avimelech was very quick to want to settle everything. So Avraham provides the cattle and the sheep in order to conduct a traditional Berit covenant ceremony between him and Avimelech. And Avraham also sets aside seven female lambs as a witness that he dug this well. And this place was called Beersheba, which means uh, a well of seven or well of an oath. The chapter wraps up letting us know that Avram lived in the land of the Philistines for a very long time. Now, why is that significant? It's amazing to see that this first encounter with the Philistine in the Bible, it was peaceful and it occurred nearly 4,000 years ago. And Israel's most prominent enemy today is still the Philistines. How so? Because those people that we see attacking Israel at every opportunity are seeking ultimately to destroy her. They're called Palestinians. Palestinian is a Greek word for Philistine. We'll have more on that in future studies. As we close off our study for today, I'd like to leave you with a few questions to consider and perhaps discuss with your access groups. These questions could also be found in the sidebar of your handout. Why do you think God allowed Abraham to intercede for Avimlech, even though Abraham had tricked him? Why do you think it's so difficult to wait long periods of time for God's promises? And do you think it's easier or harder for us today than it was for them 4,000 years ago? Friends, God made a promise and a prophecy over 6,000 years ago, as recorded in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, as God spoke to the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. Now this was the prophecy of what Messiah Yeshua did over the one who had power over death, the adversary. It was a literal prophecy and it was literally fulfilled through the blood of Messiah at the cross. And then four times in the book of Revelation, Yeshua said to the churches, I am coming soon. Believers in every generation are meant to hold tightly to the promise that the Messiah will return soon. But friends, don't grow tired and weary in the waiting. We don't know when it will happen, but we do know that God promised to return and he promised a new heaven and a new earth, and he promised that we would forever be in his presence. We know that God is faithful to keep his promises, as he always has in the past. Do you believe that? We really ought to learn our lessons from the way that God developed the faith of Abraham. As God's promises were realized in Abraham's life, he had more confidence in God's faithfulness to do what he said he was going to do. It's best that we get out of the way to make way for God's promises to be realized. And may we all live in joyous anticipation of His imminent return. Friends, thank you so much for joining us for today's Access Learn study. It's always a joy to be able to get around God's Word and learn more about His plan and His purposes, and about His amazing love and His promises. I'm so excited to see where He'll lead us next. May the grace of our Lord Yeshua and the Shalom of God our Father be with all.
2: you